aren't you thankful that our security in Christ is not dependent upon our holding on to him. It is dependent upon his holding on to us. And that's why I love that song. He will hold me fast. Amen. Uh, I want us to read Luke chapter 22 today, verses 14 through 23. In fact, I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture today. Let me just say that uh, for the Jewish people, maybe the most important day of their year, certainly one of the two most important days of their year, was the day that they feasted on a feast called the Feast of Passover. It was a celebration of the time when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And uh, God had sent Moses and said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh resisted, and through a series of plague after plague after plague, rather than softening Pharaoh's heart, his heart was hardened even more. And finally, the last of the plagues was that uh, God told Moses to tell Pharaoh and all the people of Egypt, that there is one final plague coming, and it is the plague in which the death angel will pass through the land of Egypt. And every firstborn would die unless they were covered by the blood of an innocent sacrifice. And Moses told the people of Israel, and the people of Egypt, for that matter, that they were to take a lamb and to kill it. They were to take the blood of that lamb and to put it on the door, the sides of the door and the lintel, the top part of the door, and uh, actually forming a cross, really, and said, you are to put this blood on your door, and if you have the blood on your doorpost, when the death angel comes through tonight, for everyone who has blood on their door, he will pass over that home, and the child will be spared. And that night, they did do that. And every home that had applied the blood on their door, there was no death in that home. But every home that rejected or refused, the firstborn in that home died that night, including the firstborn child of Pharaoh himself. Isn't that amazing? And from that day on, God said to Moses and to the people of Israel, from this day forward, on this day of the year, every year, you are to celebrate a Passover meal, and it was a very elaborate meal. And they would, uh, there was, uh, in fact, it's very interesting to have a, a Messianic Jewish rabbi to come and teach us all what the meaning of the Passover is. But uh, well, that's for another time, maybe. Maybe in the spring we could do that. But uh, uh, they would take a meal, and they it was a pretty elaborate meal, actually. But then at one point in the meal, 
they would uh, take this bread that was uh, very was without any leaven, without any yeast in it, and it was pierced, and it was striped as if it had been whipped. They never knew exactly why they used that kind of bread, but they did. And they would break that bread, and they would eat it, and then they would celebrate and commemorate their deliverance from bondage in Egypt. And on uh, the night before Jesus, the, the night that Jesus was arrested, he gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. But as he did, he did something at the end of that meal that was a radical transformation of that meal. As a matter of fact, his disciples were probably totally blown away by what he did because he changed the meaning of the Passover meal. And we're going to read about that in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. Why don't we stand together as I read this rather lengthy passage of Scripture to you. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is where he made the radical change, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Now just remain standing and let's listen to another passage in I stand the whole time so y'all don't mind standing a little bit longer. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 through 29. This is the only specific instructions that we're given for any kind of worship in the New Testament. But in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was the most troubled church of all the churches that Paul established, and they were sorely abusing the Lord's Supper. And so he gives these instructions. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. 
For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal, and one goes hungry and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he gives a warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's, we'll stop right there. You may be seated. And Father, I ask your blessing on the reading of your word and the understanding of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians have been taking the Lord's Supper in every denomination, every place for almost 2,000 years. And I don't suppose there's anything in the church that there have been more questions about and more division over than the Lord's Supper, unless possibly it's baptism. But I want to ask and answer some questions about the Lord's Supper today. First of all, who partakes of the Lord's Supper? Did you know there are some churches where unless you are an actual member of that local church, you are not allowed to take the, the Lord's Supper? As a matter of fact, in some churches back in Tennessee, I don't know if it's that way in Texas, but in Tennessee there are some churches that when they get ready to take the Lord's Supper, they ask any visitors to leave. That'd be pretty embarrassing, wouldn't it? But uh, so who, who is it that takes the Lord's Supper? By the way, we believe that it is the Lord's Supper. It's not the Bear Creek Baptist Church Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. But, however, there are some people who should not take the Lord's Supper. And uh, this sounds almost, uh, uh, what would be the right word, disingenuous or something like that. But the Bible teaches that if you are a redeemed person, that is, you have put your trust in Jesus and you have named him as Lord of your life, then when Christians gather together, you are to take the Lord's Supper. And I've taken the Lord's Supper with believers in other countries and believers in other churches various times, and I never felt any hesitation to do it because I know that I have trusted Jesus. And I was taking that meal as a celebration of my faith in his grace 
and his love for me. So that's who should take the Lord's Supper. Now, the Bible is kind of serious here. It says, if you do not discern the body, that is, the, the body of Christ is made up of those who have put their trust in Jesus. And he said it's actually a dangerous thing to take the Lord's Supper if you're not a believer. So I encourage you, if you are a believer in Jesus, feel free to take this Lord's Supper. That's who should take it. When, when should you take the Lord's Supper? Did you know there are churches that have really thought about this? There are some churches that take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Have you, have you ever been in a church that takes it every Sunday? Okay, all right. And, uh, and by the way, there's actually some scriptural uh, basis for doing that because the Bible says as often as you do it, and the only time that other as often is used in the New Testament is, it says, and as often as you come together. Well, how often did they come together? They came together every week, every Lord's Day. So there's certainly nothing wrong with churches taking it every Sunday and some people say, well, if you take it every Sunday, wouldn't it kind of get, uh, wouldn't you kind of get, uh, what's the right word, used to it? Kind of, wouldn't it lose its meaning? Well, not necessarily. I eat every day, and it never loses its appeal for me. I enjoy it just as much as I did yesterday. And so just because something is repeated does not necessarily mean that it has to become uh, trite or common. But then there are some churches that take it once a year. And their basis is, well, Passover was celebrated once a year. And so because it was the Passover meal, we ought to take it uh, once a year, maybe around Easter time. And I think that's okay, too. Some churches take it once a month. They start every month, the first Sunday in every month, by taking the Lord's Supper. And they don't really have any biblical basis for that, but uh, they, 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 that's when they do it. In our church, we take it once a quarter. So four times a year, we take the Lord's Supper. And we don't have any biblical basis for that either. But... The fact is, it says, as often as you do it, as often as you do it, whether it's once a week, once a month, four times a year, or once a year, as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. So to me, the meaning of it is more important than the frequency of it. And uh, uh, we had a lady in our church, I think uh, she passed away last year, but she was kind of frustrated that we didn't take it every Sunday. And uh, uh, I'm more concerned about why we take it and what it means to us as we take it. So uh, why do we take it? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Well, it's, uh, it's because Jesus told us to do it. And the Apostle Paul, in instructing the Corinthians, he said, you're to do this. Now, in, in Corinth, they had actually turned it into a full-blown meal. They called it the love feast, and they come together. But the problem is, the Corinthians were all trying to get there before anybody else and eat up the best stuff first. That'd be like us having a church dinner and, and the preacher and the deacons getting here first and eating everything we could and just leaving the scraps for everybody else. That'd be bad, wouldn't it? 
except for us. It would be all right for us. And some people were doing that. And then some people were actually getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were just coming and just drinking and drinking and drinking. Uh, obviously, it was uh, fermented wine that they were using. We do not use fermented wine. We use grape juice. But uh, you're not going to get enough to get drunk on anyway, even if it was wine. But, uh, but they were abusing the Lord's Supper. And so Paul writes to them and says, Hey, you Corinthians, good gracious. Y'all are so messed up in every which way possible. And you're messed up in taking the Lord's Supper. And he said, When you come together, then this is the way you're supposed to do it. And it was to be just, uh, you could go ahead and have the feast. But then when you come to the Lord's Supper, you're to take it in the right way and with the right heart attitude. I want to talk more about that in just a minute. But what actually happens when you take the Lord's Supper? I know there are uh, some of you, have you. How many of you have come from a Roman Catholic background? Quite, some of you have. Okay, so several of you have. You know that uh, for the Roman Catholics, they actually believe that to receive the bread and the wine is an act of receiving Jesus. And uh, they believe that the bread and the wine is actually, literally, almost magically changed, transformed into the actual body of Jesus and the actual blood of Jesus. So that when you eat that, you're actually eating flesh. And when you drink that, you're actually drinking blood. This is called the doctrine of transubstantiation. That is, that the substance actually changes from bread to flesh and from wine to blood. Now, we do not believe that. We believe that we receive Jesus by faith in Christ, not by eating uh, a piece of bread and drinking the wine. We believe, and I believe that it's clear, that this meal is a symbolic meal not a transubstantiated meal, we believe that the bread stays bread and that the wine stays wine. And that when I eat that piece of bread, I am symbolizing the fact that Jesus' body was crucified for me. And when I drink from that cup, I don't believe that I'm drinking blood. I believe that I'm drinking a juice that represents or symbolizes the blood of Jesus that was poured out for me. And so I do believe it is a serious time. I believe it is something that we, that we do with a, a serious heart. But I do not believe that the taking of this bread and this juice actually brings Jesus into us. As a matter of fact, if Jesus is not already in you, you probably shouldn't take it, you see. So that's, uh, that, that's another question. So what actually happens when we take it? Well, nothing happens to the bread and the wine, but hopefully something happens in us. So what is the purpose? What is, the, uh, what, what, what is it for? Well, the Bible says it's a time to remember we do this in remembrance of Jesus. 
It's a time to remember that Jesus Christ came to this earth. He left the glories of heaven in which he had no physical body. And he came to this earth and was incarnated. That is, he came in flesh, was born as a baby in Bethlehem to the Virgin Mary that he grew up, lived a sinless life, absolutely never did anything wrong. And that's the reason that we use unleavened bread to represent his body because leaven in the Bible is a picture and a representation of sin. And so Jesus lived a perfect life and then willingly, voluntarily gave himself to be crucified for our sins. And his body was broken. His body was nailed to a cross. And in excruciating pain, after being whipped almost to death, then having a crown of thorns pressed into his scalp, and then nailed to a cross, he gave his body up and received into that body my sin and your sin and died in my place. So, it is a time to remember the love of God, the death of Jesus for us on the cross. It's also a time to reflect, a time to reflect. We're to think about what that means. I'm to reflect on the fact that he did that for me because I'm a sinner. I have sinned against God. And that sin had me standing in condemnation and judgment. And had Jesus not died for me, I would have had to suffer for my own sin. So I'm to re remember and to reflect. And then I'm to renew. I'm to renew my own commitment to Christ. Uh, every time I take the Lord's Supper... In my own heart, I examine myself and I ask this question, are there things in my life right now that should not be there? Am I doing some things that I shouldn't be doing? Am I holding some grudges against somebody that I've not forgiven? They've wronged me, but I have no right to hold a grudge against them because if God forgave me I should be able to forgive others and by the way this is just an aside here but have any of you seen the movie Overcomer have you seen the movie Overcomer anybody well why not you ought to go see that movie it is a glorious presentation of the gospel and it is a, uh, a wonderful faith based film Overcomer. I think it's still playing in theaters right now. But in that story, it, there's a story of a girl who had been terribly, terribly hurt by her own father. And she said, I can never forgive him. I can never forgive you. He asked her, please forgive me. She said, I can never forgive you. And then she becomes a Christian. And she receives God's forgiveness. And I better not tell you the rest of the story because, uh, but, uh, but I would say there is nobody on this planet 
that I should not be able to forgive since God has forgiven me of so much. So it's a time to reflect. I reflect on my own sinfulness and on God's grace. It's a time to renew, renew my commitment and my love for Christ. And then it's a time to rejoice. It's a time to actually celebrate. We call it celebrating the Lord's Supper. Now, it seems strange to celebrate somebody's death, doesn't it? But we're celebrating the fact that Christ died for us. And because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have been forgiven. So we take the Lord's Supper as an act of worship, as an act of remembering, an act of reflecting, an act of renewing, and an act of rejoicing. So as we take the Lord's Supper this morning in just a few minutes, I want to encourage you to let those things that we've read in the Scripture and those things that I've shared with you this morning be a time for you to say, Am I a believer? Have I trusted Jesus? Is he Lord in my life? And if the answer to that is yes, then please take this meal and do it with joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you now in the name of Jesus to use this time as we take this uh, Lord's Supper, this communion meal together. I pray that it will be a time of very special meaning to each one of us. Help us examine our own hearts and ask serious questions. And then if there are those things in our life that are not right, I pray that you will help us to repent of them, turn from them, and know that the blood of Jesus Christ, your Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the fact that we may have some sin in our heart does not keep us from taking the Lord's Supper. But it is important for us to then confess that sin and trust the blood of Jesus to cleanse it. And I ask now that you'll use this time for your glory, for our benefit. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.